We acknowledge the traditional owners of this land, the Turrbal and Yagara people, and their elders past, present and emerging. Sovereignty was never ceded and flood media is recorded on stolen land. Honestly, the worst thing is like the summary of what happens in the debates, which is like, <clears throat> oh, Biden definitely won. It was massive. And like, meanwhile, his like eye is bleeding on stage. Yeah. Or like... I just don't mention that part. Or like, go to Joe 330. Where he attempted to send people to what he thought was a website. It was actually something he should have... He asked his supporters to text. text is that what it was? Uh, yeah. So he was like, go to Joe... Three three zero three three zero. Text using the website app on your smartphone. <laughs> and then they're like, "Oh, Sanders, every like, no matter what happens in the debate, the report's the same. It's like Biden did well. He like screwed up a few times, but actually that's just because you know, like, otherwise he's he, human. Gaffs are human. Yeah, oh. yeah, that's right. And like Warren did fantastically well. Kamala Harris had like a woke own moment. Oh, yeah, and Sanders, I suppose you're good or right, but he sounds repetitive. No, I no, still- the the coverage in the Guardian today that I was looking through earlier said um, they mentioned him. Uh, so I only got to like page four of their eight pages of live updates. They mentioned him twice in those two, those four pages and the other candidates, you know, at least five to seven times, the, the front runners. And they, every time they described him, they used words like um, uh, Sanders boasted that he didn't vote for the Iraq war bill. Uh, and Sanders did well to insert himself into the discussion. It's like, do you understand what a debate is, though? Like, he's a candidate. He's allowed to, quote-unquote, insert himself and into especially, the discussion. And especially when all the key terms of the debate are being set by him, like it's all being fought around Medicare for all and abolishing tuition fees at, like, all of... Like, a lot... Those... Honestly, those are the major two things that Democratic debates talk about and climate change, which in 2016, Sanders was the only one to say that was the largest national security threat to the United States. And now everyone's saying that. And... Like, Sanders sets the entire terms of the debate. He's coming second in the polls, like, leading in New Hampshire and, like, tied first in Iowa in a lot of the polls, has the biggest campaign organisation and has the largest number of individual donors by, like, some fucking crazy... Oh, that amazing graphic. New York like, <laughs> graphic where they had to remove Sanders so you could see the other candidates. No, and never remove. No. <laughs> and that's what I think it'll come down to is because he's so much more prepared than he was before, right? Because the, the 2016 was... They weren't expecting to win, and so they didn't start off. Yeah, with the whole, you know, oh, we they were win like, this. We're, we're running for like, and it just like they were kind of shocked in that, like, oh fuck, people actually want to help us do this. Okay, so now they've hit How? the ground running with all that, and so yeah. I think that's like probably gonna get them. And if if and that would get will get them over the line unless there's like an absolute just rigging by the DNC. Oh, you can see it already as well, um, like like Biden. Brain melting into his eye sockets. Uh, his eye bleed it. Yeah, yeah. 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 No, was, his dentures fell out in this debate. The most recent debate, he was trying to give an answer and he had to push his gent- dentures back in with his lips. Like he, the <laughs> guy's actually falling. No, he's like. <laughs> 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 but the thing with like the eye bleeding thing, it was not mentioned at all in any of any of the major like news sources in the US. Just explicitly not mentioned. Can you, can you his eye if, was bleeding on stage. Can you imagine he was talking about fracking, and his bleeding. eye was exploding. It would, it would never get off the front page. Um, there's an amazing. So yeah, his his uh, Joe three three gap is incredible. And in this last debate, apparently he said um, he. Talked 
told children to make sure you have the record player on at night in response to a question <laughs> about how families should spend their evenings. Yeah, which, he might just be appealing to hipsters. Honestly, yeah. He I mean, also called like uh, the <laughs> kindest possible. He also called Bernie Sanders the president. Yeah, he called <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, he's like, so he's telling the truth. Like, yeah. I can get behind that. President of my heart. <laughs> but I think it's really interesting. Like, So the other thing that happened in this debate, apart from like all the boring bullshit which I don't think we should really go into but in terms of like the interpersonal interactions between the candidates um Julian Castro um supposedly like owned Biden by um like when Biden said something that contradicted a previous statement he said did you forget what you said two minutes ago and everyone just like completely lost their shit over this and they're like you know clutching at pearls being like are you saying that he's demented because he's not demented he's fine (laughs) but to me that is like very revealing how upset the establishment and the media and like all the pundits got over this just shows how worried they are about this whole like question about whether Biden can stay alive long enough <laughs> to close the nomination. I think they were probably just like happy he was able to stand upright for three hours during the debate. Isn't it sad <laughs> that this is like the best person they could wheel out? Oh, like yeah. Biden, the one who's like oh, lost so many so times. Sim- yeah. So the, symptomatic. Yeah, two failed presidential bids. Apparently Obama, before he ran, was like, Joe, you don't have to do this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like, no, I'll do it. <laughs> no like, oh, no, I got and, you know, like, yeah, he, he, right, Nicole, he's like, he's their, he's their bulwark. And like, come on, I think they, um, I know on Chapo, um, Virgil thinks that Biden's not a threat and the establishment will throw their weight behind, behind like Kamala Harris. I actually think they'll throw their weight around behind Elizabeth Warren. Oh, yeah. I I want to talk about Elizabeth Warren a bit. Um, actually, no, before I do that though, let's, let's go through this completely cursed Guardian article, which Nicole. Before we do that, should we introduce who's. Oh, uh, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, that cold open was brought to you by. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Um, yeah, so, um, uh, Joe? What do you tweet at? Um, <laughs> do we need to do that? I suppose no, people we know. Don't okay. need to do the tweets. I, Max. I'm Mark. I'm back again. Callum. Nicole. All right. No, I got that out of the way. Thank you, Callum. Uh, <laughs> um, it's the flood uh, all-star cast. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, this... This cursed article, which I will never forgive Nicole for <laughs> leading me to. Um, Got a lot of time in my day at work. <laughs> <laughs> says, uh, why is Joe Biden leaving the polls? Because electability is a real thing. So let's get into this. Um, Joe Biden sits squarely atop. I mean, again, that's like his support is falling off a cliff. In the most recent poll, he was down from 29% to 25%. Like, he is... Complete, like he's. I think one of the only candidates whose support is going backwards, like he's fucking this up. Um, but anyway, sits squarely atop an unwieldy democratic presidential field and is the only challenger who appears comfortably competitive when paired against Donald Trump in electoral backgrounds such as Michigan, New Hampshire, and Wisconsin. While other contenders lead the president in national polls, Biden is the one candidate who generates the kind of coalition necessary to avoid the debacle of 2016, that a democratic popular vote victory coupled with another electoral college um, defeat. Biden is reassuring, not strident, and in that sense, he is the anti-Trump. Barack Obama's vice president runs well with traditional Democratic constituencies, along with those swing voters necessary to cobble together a win on Election Day 2020. What I don't understand about the electability thing is he is a twice-failed presidential candidate. Like... Every time he's gone anywhere near anything that involves running for president, he's lost. But so. you see, you see, Max, <laughs> on the issues, <laughs> Biden is a mainstream economic liberal, not a wild, wild-eyed would-be revolutionary. Stridency is not his thing. 
uh, he is not looking... Nor coherency. <laughs> <laughs> Nor bloodless eyes. <laughs> he may not be wild-eyed, but <laughs> he is not looking to recreate the world anew. And his teeth move around his mouth <laughs> quite independently <laughs> from his jaw. <laughs> <laughs> this is my personal favourite bit of like it. It's like, uh, simply put, Biden is the creature of the cultural centre, someone who resonates with suburban mums, African-Americans, oh, and retirees who have earned their right what to the social security. Security and Medicare after a lifetime of work. Yeah. How, do they, how do they so just terrible. not? Fuck. They, so s- they still haven't just learnt that like the center just means that you stand for nothing and no one likes you. Yeah, like, yeah. So that's the thing, right? This is the thing. Like they, he goes through. This is by um, someone called Lloyd Green. Old Lloyd goes through all this stuff about how he's like mainstream centrist. Blah blah. Did he miss? The fact that that is exactly what lost in the election in 2016, that they ran a centrist and got spanked. Well, look, you know, even in Australia with the ALP, it's like they also are learning. Like, that's exactly what... No no one learns the fucking lesson. Like, it's... Yeah, I think they're hanging their hopes on, though, that, like, I've, I've heard this kind of bit that, like, because Trump has been such a, like, a wild card and, like, an anti-establishment and unpredictable that what people really want is just to go back to that good predictable center um which is wild because that that race was put on like in 2016 was that race was run and and it was this wild failure on the behalf of the democrats and I think it's also like the Democrats have never really tried to learn anything from 2016 because or it's actively been... stopped themselves. From yeah, learning. or like the Russia thing, which is like, like Russia stole the election, or like um, Bernie Bros voting for Trump stole the election, or like anything other than them running a terrible and uninspiring campaign lost in the election. They still haven't grappled with that. Just like how Bob Brown stole, you know, ruined the election. <laughs> the Labour Party in Australia. I don't know. Or Palmer. Like, uh, apparently a Palmer's advertising campaign lost Labour Party the election. There's a massive- there was two seats. Two seats. Just as Two seats in the Australian federal election that were, lo- that were lost as a result of Palmer preferences. And one was Bass in Tasmania and there was some other one. So, like... Like, you know... And not even in Queensland. Like, and not, not even, even in, in Queensland. Queensland. No. So, you know, exactly, Callum, like, establish, the establish, political establishment seems, like, not a, not only incapable, but as Mark said, like, actively, willfully ignorant of the reasons that they're losing. And, like, Biden seems to represent everything about that. Although, we should talk about Warren, because apparently Hillary Clinton's tossing around an endorsement. Well, okay, but I just actually want to go through this okay. article first. There's so it's much so good. here. <laughs> I mean, yeah, the, the other thing, Nicole, that you pulled out was like, yeah, um, who these people who deserve, uh, the, now they've worked all their lives and fucking like pissed away their best years down in the in the sake of making profit for someone else. Now they deserve uh, Social Security and, and Medicare. Um he also says, uh, unlike Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders, Biden is not looking to strip Americans of their health insurance policies. <laughs> what? That's, that's exactly what they want to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's right there in the bill. Medicare yes, for all. Strip, strip, take away, mandatory. <laughs> <laughs> like all these bad words. Be afraid of this policy. It's brilliant though. Because it's like, he, it's like says, that's not the end of that sentence. So it's like, what's a strip? Um, you know, he's not looking to strip Americans of their health um, insurance policies for the sake of bringing progressive Arcadia to the here and now. What? Fuck that, that sounds terrible. Medicare for all? No, no, no. Let's have our bad. <laughs> How can you also have that? That is just bizarre. Like, as Sanders said in the last debate, it's like, it's just weird Republican talking points. Like, 
They, they, I suppose, that, yes, maybe they might not have private health insurance, but because ev- literally everyone gets universal health coverage. That, I, I want my compl- private health insurance. I want to pay. Like, what is? He, what are you not understanding like about this? In fact, <laughs> I want to be forced onto particular plans by my boss, mm. and then I will have health insurance. I like that. I like it being uh, being told what I am allowed to be covered by. Like, that's like willfully ignorant. That uh, that's just like, like someone's been paid to write that, and it's like, but it. Well, yeah, it's it's not ignorant at all. It's just manipulative. Like it, the the line that they'll trot out probably closer when they narrow down the candidates is that um, it'll come down to choice. So that's the thing that um, was They'll say up. with Medicare for all, you won't get a choice of who you go with for your Medicare, but again, <laughs> it, it, which is bullshit. Well, that's the thing that was coming up in this latest debate that was like just happened like today, yesterday, whatever, time is fake. The <laughs> But like, that was always coming up. Everyone was apologizing for... Obamacare. Everyone's like, oh no, Obamacare was really great. Obama did all this stuff. Uh, you know, because they have realized that particularly because they all just change everything they're talking about when they're in a particular state, except Bernie. Everyone's like suddenly talking about unions when they're in Wisconsin. In Texas, everyone liked, wanted to want to be a part of Obamacare because it was the best thing they were able to engage with because it was the closest thing to actual healthcare coverage for everybody. Um, and that was the thing that everyone started, they started to apologize for, that choice thing, which is the, the market system, which was introduced under Obamacare. And like everyone wants to be a part of that, but it was just like all of the candidates are suddenly moderating all their messaging in order to be able to like, oh yeah, no, this is great. This is fine. Literally uh, everyone but um, Sanders. Mm. Even Warren's starting now to talk about like um, like accessible healthcare and like um, talking about co-pays and like... Which is interesting. She still does not have healthcare on her website under issues. She has all these plans. The plans. <laughs> I have course. so many plans. How do I hold all these plans? And the, she doesn't have one for healthcare because it's just whatever is convenient at the moment is what she's going with because that's what her candidacy is, is enough to look like what Bernie is, but not any kind of the substance of what actually will change things. And I it's think like, oh, just do a little bit of wonkish stuff around the sides. I think that distinction will become a lot clearer when it gets down to like the final three, when it's like Biden, if he's still alive, um, <laughs> Warren and I Sanders. Think, like he won't be alive, but like... He'll be like That's a, still wheel him out. In a wheelchair and there'll be articles being like, you know, like like super woke articles. Oh, they'll, being, rege- they'll compare him to like um uh oh, oh fucking FDR. FDR. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He'll be quiet and reserved and very in control. <laughs> quiet reserved. He, 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 he won't let a massive speak. stroke stop him running for president. <laughs> At one point, but, um, the stick waved his hand. And he's actually just like Hillary Clinton vibe. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, like, but, but yeah, I think that distinction. I think that distinction will be really clear when it just comes down to the final three because they'll have to start to you know fall back onto their lines and I think that distinction and Bernie will really be able to stand out but then it just comes down to like how much can it be rigged by the DNC is what will decide the entire um, primary race. And you can see the start of it like they're already putting massive pressure on a lot of media places to like put up like electability things about like Biden and stuff like that but there's also a bunch of stuff like polling just like Showing polling on a screen, media companies are attempting to manipulate that. There's like images of like, you know, order of candidacies, like what their polling is in certain states, whatever. And then whatever Bernie is, he's always below Warren and below everyone else. Even though his number's bigger? Even though his numbers are higher. Oh no, we do it by age. (laughs) (laughs) It's a new way of sorting. Actually, we go... Highest number of strokes. (laughs) (laughs) 
uh, and then it's, Warren, it's and then <laughs> reverse number of donors. Well, and I think this is like, <laughs> and, uh, speaking of support, it's like um, all of this Bernie bro bullshit, which honestly is just like only ever seems to come from people who work at universities. Um, is like it, Biden Sanders' support is more working class. Like the mo- person most likely to support Sanders is a black woman basically, in the United States. Like, his support is has more people of colour. It has the most... Wor- it's the, by far the most working class. It's like... Um, he has the highest numbers amongst people of... Young people of colour, um, amongst students, um, amongst Hispanics. Like, it's, it's this huge, diverse, working class coalition. Whereas you compare it to... Actually... Funnily enough, you can compare to like Warren, who seems to be exclusively exist in like inner city New York and like upper middle class supporters, uh, and who occasionally seems to flirt with big corporate donors, but says she won't take them at one point and won't and like will take them another way. Like it, all of this seems to be like willfully ignored by every all of the chattering class. But what's thankful is they don't seem to fucking matter at all. Like, no one gives a shit what they say in terms of, like, it, hopefully, like, a large enough s- section of the, like, Democratic primary electorate. So, I just want to um, – two more things from this article, which uh, are just – <laughs> chef's kiss. Um, number one thing I learned reading this um, article – is that uh, Joe Biden's written a, a kind of a memoir um, called Promise Me Dad. <laughs> Promise, me, Promise me Daddy. Promise Me Daddy, obviously. Yes, thank you. Um, um, I, I just wanted to add as well in this, like my absolute favourite, when we were talking about how they sort of like are cutting out Bernie and just like completely ignoring him and like the, the media is spe- spending so much time doing this. I found this like beautiful headline today as I was looking through this stuff. There's one that says Harris Warren tie for third in new poll, but yeah. Biden still leads. And nothing in the article says anything about Bernie. It's incredible. It's it so one, blatant. Three, three, yeah. four, five, six, seven, eight, That's how numbers work. Don't you know? Yeah. And the, the, absolute, the absolute cherry on the top of this, um, this trash article in the Guardian um, is it's written by, as I said, Lloyd Green. Now, what's his background, you might wonder? We'll go down to the bottom and, and have a look. Lloyd Green was opposition research counsel to George H.W. Bush's 1988 campaign. Oh, <laughs> so, once again, I just I love to take advice from my political enemies. I know they always have my best interests at heart. And when they write articles saying Joe Biden is the future of the Democratic Party and if Democrats know anything, they'll choose him as their nomination – that's the kind of advice that I'm going to take. With Please just, have a walking you, corpse Lloyd. opposite my walking corpse and then it'll be fine. Then you'll definitely win. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but like it's not surprising. They are both the same. All like the Democratic machine and like the Republican Party are all working for the same people in the end. Like there's no real no, they're all no, factions. They're all just yeah. part of the same It's the point where I think they're like quite specifically like I like they are the kind, the same kind of people. Like the people who work for the DNC and the people who work in Republican, like as Republican staffers, are the same kind of people, well, and they're interchangeable. Republic. Uh, uh, Warren like, no, was a Republican. Like yeah. she was During Republican. During the Reagan era. Yeah. Like someone like, needs to fucking ask her ooh. why she thought it was okay to be a Republican when the Republican she was around. Uh, she was a Republican at this time when they were suppressing treating people suffering from a HIV AIDS in that. Period, and she thought, "I want to be a Republican." While they're murdering people, basically, like, so no one's asked her that question yet. Like, and you know, maybe like you should fly over and do it. 
<laughs> Someone should do it. Maybe we should run a Patreon thing. Yes. <laughs> Fly <laughs> Max over to ask this question. Liz, Liz. <laughs> she, just, she just looks at him and goes, Oi, mate. No, no, I don't think so. <laughs> Can we talk about why Warren's shit now? I mean, I keep yes, doing it. But no, like, let's, do it in a no, I think it's way. a good um, thing to uh, address. Like, is Warren, like, why is she not just like a uh, woman version of Sanders? Guys, she's got a plan. Oh, God. <laughs> I look. I th- I think there's been a lot of good analysis of this already. I think it's basically Warren has Warren is in, in many ways like a radical liberal. She assumes that the system generally works. There needs to be some reforms to it. But if she comes, as Calm said, with a plan and a series of really well argued ideas, she will be able to implement these ideas within the liberal democracy that is the United States. Of course, it's currently controlled too much by corporate power, but some reforms will be able to fix that. Whereas Sanders' argument is that, like, essentially this is a massive class war and that the only way the working class are going to be able to win power and win the material conditions and resources that they need to live a good life is by organising collectively together and wielding power collectively over the forces that currently dominate American politics. And that he said that he won't be the commander-in-chief, he'll be the organiser-in-chief. Like, he, he has argued that his primary role will be to be one of the leaders organising a resurgent working class in the United States. Whereas, like, like Warren, I think, actually poses, even more than Biden, poses this active danger and threat to the progressive movement in the United States. Because if she's allowed anywhere near power, she'll be more of a disappointment than Obama. She will get into power, do literally nothing, sell out on everything. Any confrontation she has, she'll lose because she has no analysis of power and seems to have some innate faith in in American democracy, if you can call it that. And she will set the progressive movement and set of ideas back by generation. And I agree with Matt Chrisman on that if she gets in... It'll end up being like someone worse than Trump will be the next one after that. Yeah, she will like, lay the conditions for Trump um, 2.0. When, exactly. Like, a coherent Bar- Baron Trump. Trump. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yes. And it's a bit of like, I think, where like the, the establishment itself has decided Biden is their pick. I think Warren is the pick for a lot of people who are the people who work for that establishment. I think that they, the, the kind of people who want to uh, tinker around the edges, fix all these problems. I've got all these very specific little ideas about how to fix this t- t- particular problem. Uh, she's the kind of person who appeals to that crowd, which is why I think she has, the support she has is that a large proportion of the Democratic primary and a large people who are the people who are boosting her are the kind of people who are staffers. The people who want a wonkish change of things, um, but not necessarily are... She's not currently the pick of the establishment itself. They're the people who work for the establishment. This all being said, though, like, I'm not actually sure she would... If if she won the primary, I don't actually think she'd be... Oh, Trump, Trump would wipe the floor with her. Like, you know, I have a plan is such a shit slogan. It is, it is maybe... Oh, I didn't think anything could be worse than America is already great, but uh, it's up there. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I didn't I, even know that was a That was Hillary Clinton. Holy shit. Yeah, yeah. We're, she like, deserved res- to lose. Yeah, yeah, yeah she yeah. did. For many other reasons <laughs> yeah, as well. Yeah, but that slogan is freaking up there. But I think, speaking of slogans, but like that difference in, in Bernie and Warren's slogan is incredibly apparent, right? Like, not me, us, versus I have a plan. <laughs> no, it's very true. And actually that is... No, I think that probably sums it up more than anything. Especially... And then, like, Biden's nothing will fundamentally change. <laughs> oh, is that what he's gone with? Okay. Yeah. No. <laughs> no he said, I don't, I'm sure people have probably heard this, but he was speaking to, like, a billionaire donor event. And his, like, line was, um, 
I'll see if I can find... The part of it is like, um, these are the full comments. He's like, this is to the donor. This is to a donor group. Remember, I got in trouble with some of the people on my team on the Democratic side because I said, you know, that what I find is rich people are just as patriotic as poor people. Not a joke. I mean, we may not want to demonize anybody who's made money. <laughs> but, said Biden, their taxes might have to raise a little to achieve some of his legislative goals. Though he assured the members of the 1% and the attendance of the Upper side, Upper East Side Carroll Hotel that under his plan, the increase wouldn't even be noticeable. The truth of the matter is, you all, you all know, you all know in your gut... What has to be done, said Biden. We can disagree in the margins, but the truth is, the truth of the matter is that it's all within our wheelhouse and nobody has to be punished. No one's standard of living will change, said Biden. Nothing would fundamentally change. <laughs> <laughs> I can't afford insulin. It's just like nothing will change. It's so inspiring. And I, I think that what you were saying before, Max, about how Bernie was saying um, he wants to be the organiser-in-chief, that gives me a lot of hope that something good will actually come of this and it's not just like he will get in and not be able to do anything because the whole aim of any serious like left-wing electoral project has to be to take power and then break down and decentralize that power because it's no good to just you know take control of the state and then entirely use that state to try push it because it'll it it will face either (laughs) counter-revolution and be crushed, you know, through, like, you know, you see that in an Allende uh, or, you know, could end up being like Syrizia. But if you're able to take that power and then um, break it down, undermine it and, you know, decentralize it into other um, areas and other strategies, mm. I think that's really exciting. Yeah, um, I think and he's actually learned from a lot of the failures of other democratic socialist projects or socialist or social democratic projects recently. Which is really exciting. I mean, I think, like, speaking, like, just like, quickly on Biden, like, I can imagine Biden having a stroke on stage, like, collapsing on stage, and the next day the New York Times will be like, Biden raises crucial awareness for stroke victims or something like that. <laughs> like, he, he won that debate. Yeah, that's right. He raised more than anyone else could. <laughs> I think a lot of people recognise the ability of, like, Bernie Sanders to, like, be that mobilising force in something. And there was a, recently a video out of an ALS... Um, activist um who was talking to kamala harris and it was talking about what her medicare plan would mean for him Do um, you want, what's als sorry als uh, amyotrophic uh, lateral sclerosis uh oh, scientist in there the we house go. i can pronounce these things uh, <laughs> that degree was useful <laughs> um, sorry also, go on yeah, ice bucket challenge um that's what the funding was for even though most people didn't actually end up giving money for that funding uh but the point was that he was talking to kamala harris about her medicare plan and how it was had massive gaping holes in it um and like just destroyed her on camera it's beautiful you should definitely go watch it but the point of it was is like whatever anyone's plan is to change the current system is going to be opposed by uh, pharmaceutical companies, by insurance companies, all these people, and they're going to come out against your plan, and your plan sucks. Uh, they're going to come out against Bernie's plan. His plan doesn't suck. What we need is to mobilize all these people, and your plan is not going to move these people. What you need to counter this is a mass amount of people to come out constantly to say, no, fuck you. We want this. We want to be able to like have health insurance, to be able to not die from entirely preventable causes. 
And it also with that as well, like a part of that is like the, you know, where uh, people are spending so much time talking about the electability of Biden, but actually at the end of the day, because America is optional, like it's optional whether you vote or not, um, it's not compulsory voting. So Enthusiasm why matters. the fuck would anyone come out to vote for Biden? Why would anyone come out to vote for more than the same other than like you'd have to assume that the voter turnout would be quite small and the same for Elizabeth as well, right? Like, why would people be bothered to come and vote for something where they don't really see any kind of real meaningful change? Whereas if you've got Bernie and Bernie's giving you this really exciting um, new plan. He's saying things are wrong. No, not a plan. (laughs) He's saying that things are wrong, right? Yeah. He's saying, yeah, it does suck. But he's also (laughs) saying you can have... Yeah. Like, I'm going to fight for free, like, medical care for you. That is enough for people to go out and vote. Like, if you're able to sort of, like, have a platform that that is, like, that inspiring and can fundamentally change um, Something will fundamentally change. People's lives. Yeah, something, wi- <laughs> something will fundamentally change. People are going to come vote. I reckon yeah. if, if I had to, like, look into the heart of darkness that is the DNC, I think they're probably banking on the idea that people are so anti-Trump that they'll come out and vote for like a man who is on the brink of collapse if they have to, um, if he's going to like win against Trump. But I reckon that's like, I don't know, I think that's optimistic given the fact that, I don't know, that didn't work uh, in 2016. We know what happens. One positive thing of a Trump versus Biden thing would just be seeing them have to debate each other. <laughs> Fuck, that would be funny. Competitive Just, like, sun- two doddering, yeah. like, sip, like, why am I here? Why are you yelling at me? <laughs> Just, oh my God. Competitive was- sundowning. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, like, literally speaking of sundowning, his, his campaign were like, we can't hold events near dusk. <laughs> because, of, like, you know, like, Biden struggles when the sun's going down. And then someone's like, you know what that's called, right? And they're like, no. They're like, <laughs> <laughs> when meanwhile, the Bernie, Bernie would just be like, fight me. <laughs> Like Bernie's out there like humiliating teenagers on the basketball court. Like. <laughs> oh, he's so good. <laughs> it's a uh, um yeah, it'll be interesting. I don't know what will actually happen. But look, the one other thing I think I agree, Callum, it's his organization on the ground. In Iowa, which is the first primary state, Sanders had his combined series of donors uh and volunteers is more than like literally what is the stat, Mark? So everyone who participated in the 2016 primary, um, like his, his combined like donors and volunteers, is more than everyone who participated in the Iowa Democratic primary. Makes me think that he should. I'm going to check that because that's pretty insane. <laughs> I, I almost, Allegedly, <laughs> citations I almost, needed. I almost think that, like, if he doesn't win the Democratic primary. I would actually be for him going as an independent presidential candidate because, like, at the end of the day, you really don't have, like, if if your choice is between Bernie Sanders, I don't know, Biden and Trump, like, fucking it doesn't really matter if Trump or Biden gets in, it's going to be shit either way, but the chance of getting Bernie in, I think, is worth it, and that whole idea of undermining or splitting the vote is pretty crap in my opinion what do others think on that can you just imagine if he ran oh my god he should definitely do it i'm like a hundred percent behind that that would be amazing he would uh i can just like the the rage from um he probably would probably would explode the internet (laughs) i mean yeah he probably wouldn't win and he would get so much hatred i mean i'm not like under the illusion that anyone who would hate him for that would ever vote for him to start with 
but uh, <laughs> I mean, it would be funny. <laughs> That's the thing. I feel like it would, it, the hatred would come from people who we don't like give a shit about. It, it, it what he could end up doing that is you know keep mobilizing that base of his so that even if he didn't win the election, you've still got this. You know, it's like you know with us, you can you've got this massive. Um, uh, organization and force that you can take beyond that and, mm. and that sort of thing. But I think yeah, that's right. And you made a really good point earlier, Callum, that, yeah, the I think um, as leftists who talk a lot about electoral projects, we should be really clear that we're not doing it for its own sake. Like um, getting people into parliament is one small part of the equation. And, yeah, like we hope to be able to pass um, some useful legislation um especially if you get into a balance of power situation, you can actually make a difference. Um, But at the end of the day, legislation is very limited in what it can achieve. Um, And it can improve people's lives. In the absence of social movements. That's right. It can definitely improve people's lives. Like I think, you know, passing a Medicare for All thing uh, bill in the US would be like one of the single greatest things you could do to like improve people's day-to-day lives um, who live there. But, yeah, it's not a technocratic fix, and I think that's where Warren falls. And, like, you've got to be naive to think that, like, global capital isn't going to come after you. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you're not going to be able to stand up as a, as a single person just because you've got great ideas and great policies is not enough to be able to take on global capital and to take right. on in this, like, situation, like, pharmaceutical corporations, like, the amount of power that, like... Yeah, global capital wields in the world. And especially finance capital in the US. Absolutely. Like a lot of, like most of the economy is propped up by finance capital. I mean, it's not actually doing much for everyday people, but like it does play a like quite a big role in their like um, economy and their GDP. Like, so it's naive to think that you can either make the changes that you fundamentally need to make to be able to make people's lives better in the long term in the US um, and not challenge. Yeah, like financial capital in um, the US or that you can just like challenge them and they'll be like, oh, I guess you're the, I guess you're the president. You're Uh, the winner. You you were elected. I guess that does mean the will of the people. You will get crushed. You'll get crushed if you don't have a strong social movement and a strong like social backing behind you in other ways in which you're trying to wield that power. Like we've tried this before. It didn't work so well. <laughs> yeah, and well, and this is the like Joe. I don't even think, like, no one else is. No one's, and it's not even clear if Sanders will be able to. But no one's going to get to the stage of even passing Medicare for all. Like, passing Medicare for all isn't about winning elections. Like, no about it. Like, to, the sort of election they need to win to get Medicare for all through American Congress would have to be super majorities in the Senate and uh, Congress because, and also with a bunch of the current. Democrats sitting in well, that's what I mean. being elected because it requires a supermajority and it requires a bunch of Democrats who will not vote well, for Well, this is why I think you need a supermajority essentially to deal with the fact there'd be enormous Democratic rebellions on the right of the party. Like, you know, Sanders was asked, oh, what about the filibuster in the Senate? And he, would like, he was like, I would go to Mitch McConnell, who's the leader of the Republicans in the Senate state, and like hold massive rallies and be like, Mitch, we're going to fucking remove you if you stand in our way. Which is like, you know, like... 
this is the danger. Ron, Warren will get in. Prom- might be promising like Medicare for people whose names start with T or whatever the <laughs> fuck her policy ends up being in the election. And she'll get there and it'll like not even the people whose names start with T and drink it bubble, you know, like who like get a degree in like whatever. Um, 200 miles a year. Yeah, yeah. What the fuck it is? Are the insane. Have um, blood sugar below a certain level. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Like, yeah, only Constantly tracked. Eat, eat health, like eat a certain number and of they calories. And agree to wear a smartwatch for yeah. the duration of their lives. Yeah, that's right. Like she'll get in and she won't even be able to implement that and it'll just be wildly unpopular after that or she'll water it down so much that everyone will see it as a betrayal. And she's going to water it down. Like she's absolutely, I have absolutely no She hasn't faith. committed to anything yet. If you can't commit to something in, like, a, in a democratic primaries race, you cannot stand up and <laughs> as the president trying to like implement anything that is any kind of like small amount of radical makes any kind of like small amount of real change. Like, I have absolutely no faith in you. I already feel nervous sometimes around, like, whether, like, Corbyn and McDonnell um, will, will follow through with the program that they have. I've got absolutely no faith in Warren being able to, like, withstand the onslaught of what she'll get if she tries to push some of her things that she says and then changes through. Like, it's just not going to happen. Yeah, I'd actually be interested to talk about... Is this? Too, I don't know if it's too early for a pivot to the UK because I was wanting to talk about, like, what... From the UK side of things, if a Corbyn government gets elected, how effective are they going to be in doing that whole undermining and decentralization decentralization of state power with the um, confines of Brexit that they have to work within? And like, have has Corbyn talked about the same? you know, organiser-in-chief sort of rhetoric that Sanders is using, or are they looking at just going through state power? I think if you're going to include Brexit in it, like, it's like Should a whole other... we start with the Brexit? Just... I think, can we talk about that later? Because Brexit's a whole other thing. Yeah, I think yeah. some of the more interesting bits that connect probably to what is happening in the US is stuff like uh, something that John McDonald recently proposed, which is a right to buy for renters from private landlords. So the right to buy rhetoric came around from people who are living in council estates, and you would be able to buy your council flat. Uh, it was a way of privatizing social housing and privatizing the commons and stuff like that. But what John McDonald has recently been proposing is that one is they would change rental law to be you would rent somewhere for one or five or ten years. And once you were in a place for long enough, you would be able to buy the the property that you rented from. So if you were a long-term tenant, in the same rhetoric. It's that I think that's part of the way of dealing with a little bit of like the the way you would like mitigate some of the financial th- uh, some of the capital pressures because it allows you to can get a lot more people on side because you are you co-opting that rhetoric to say actually no you shouldn't be able to kick out of your home you should be allowed to buy your home because that's it's still it's far more social democratic than probably what some would would prefer but it is that way of like building into something else yeah i I always talk about it's a bit of a silly aside but i hope that we like i always say to my partner that if we just like stay in the house that we're in in west end for long enough like and the landlord dies it becomes ours right like that's just how it works if we're just there for that long i'm definitely squatting i'm paying rent but i am squatting he's like quite old if he just dies, we just get to keep it right. And my partner's like, that's not how it works. But that's how it should work. Yeah. <laughs> it should, should fucking work. Um, look, Callum, in answer to your question, Corbyn a little bit, 
like at the World Transformed, which is like the um, fringe festival that Momentum holds at UK Labour Party conferences. It's more his the people around him have talked a lot about the fact that you um, just because you go into government, you don't go into power. Uh, like partly more focused on European experiences, though. So the like the failed experience of the Mitterrand government in France, who won on the most radical agenda anyone in the 20th century has won on and was like set about actually trying to implement it. And then within by 1983 or thereabouts, he ended up implementing full-blown neoliberalism because uh, of like essentially um, capital flight and things like that. So he was disciplined by capital. But so it also wasn't, he didn't want to break with the, it wasn't, it wasn't the euro at the time. It was the EMS. It was like a yeah. European monetary scheme or something like that. Like and he was, wanted to keep a strict currency and he didn't want to yeah. like. And so he couldn't devalue more. So he also like, he, he got punished really, really hard by capital, but he was also, it was a bit of a, he, he chickened. Yeah. Well, everyone, and I think you people, ch- I think the answer though is like, you know, in the same way Tipsara's chickened out and, um, in Greece with Syriza is because you don't have a powerful organized working class base behind you because if you don't if you do end up not chickening out you need to be <laughs> aware that you will win the battle that ensues in civil society there's been a great book out called people get ready by um, anyone remember Christine Berry and Joe Guinan uh, writing about the fact that you'll need to organize large-scale social movements uh, and have a lot of the, like, tactics rolled out around, you know, like, Thatcher uh, did this analysis of trade union power in the UK before she came to power and the people around her and worked out that we shouldn't go for the public sector union straight away and we, should, we shouldn't go for the coal union straight away, but we should bring on a set-piece fight with them a couple of years into government. And, you know, apparently she was, like, uh, was like getting the government to stockpile coal like years in advance just so they could prep for a fight with the miners' union because she knew once we beat them, uh, she would wield enormous power in the UK. And they argue that Corbyn should have a similar mindset, like, you know, do an analysis of capitalism in the UK, pass a lot of sort of small laws, prepping for a bigger fight with finance capital at some point down the line. And some of the stuff, you know, like the regional investment banks and the public banks that they're proposing – do and also like they're building organizing of their 500,000 strong membership and trying to revitalize the trade union movement in the UK indicate they're thinking about it somewhat uh, and probably in some ways in a more sophisticated way than Sanders because it seems like Corbyn has a more robust intellectual movement around him uh, than Sanders does and I'm not sure what other people you're starting from like a much easier place as well I think in the UK like I think we've seen uh, like even the erosion of like the welfare state in the UK and the erosion of um, the unions and publicly owned um, like uh, essential services, even though that's happened, actually where they're starting from is I would arguably say more like there's there's more public there's more publicly owned like uh, well, the NHS uh, exists yeah, yeah that's right there's a, so there's basically a the US has to climb out of a deeper hole they're climbing yeah. out of a much deeper hole the political um it's it's harder I think it's much much harder um, quite to significantly get those because things. as well like Corbyn's like the leader of the major opposition party they have this established structure of mm. he will being be running Her Majesty's opposition but also it's like yeah like Bernie Sanders like is like just running to be the one guy in charge and has to build an entire infrastructure to be able to impose some kind of social change. And, and it's yeah. like, it's a whole lot different because as well, the US just considers itself like each MP, each like Congress person is like separate and sovereign on their own right. They could do whatever the fuck they want. Where in the UK, there is like, you are part of this party. We are part of this movement. The Democratic Party barely exists as an institution. Mm. Like there's no like... 
the Democratic like Democratic Party is is like a much looser like organization than the UK Labour Party it's is. It's only it's like it's like the whole primary thing is super super fake to the point where like even like how the president is actually elected is incredibly fake and it's only like you vote and then your state makes uh sends delegates of your entire state to then go vote for the president you don't actually vote one-to-one for the president it's well the electoral college well that's yeah the way the electoral college works it's just like it's incredibly like just devolved in a way that's like Representatives on representatives. On Almost representatives. sounds like uh, choosing the leader for the Australian Greens Party. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not even that. It's like literally only like the like people in party room. Better, right? Yeah, the electoral college is more democratic than the current way the Australian Greens pick their leader. Bleak, I mean, the UK still has the House of Lords. Like they have an entire upper house that's unelected. Yeah. Their whole political system, and like, they have no written I constitution. Think, well, the way Aaron Bassani like laid it out quite well, and what's it? It's one of the other guys. I can't remember any Michael Walker. Yeah, that was it, Michael. Um, the two bald guys with glasses. Yeah, well, the other bald guy, bald guy and bald guy. Uh, <laughs> bald guy one and bald guy two. Uh, Laid it out, just like, incredibly fucked. Like to the point where, like, uh, the UK is like one of the largest groups of like unelected members of parliament in the entire world. Uh, they have more religious leaders elected to parliament than like anywhere else, and it's incredibly fucked. Their entire system is fucked. They're all owned by the Queen. They're all technically legally the property of the Queen. Like geese. Or the swans. Swans. <laughs> swans can vote. Yeah. Everyone but also knows online, this. she gets to own them every so often. <laughs> and probably like allegedly the most uh, pedophiles in office as well. Ooh, yeah. wild. Ooh. Bold. Um, allegedly. allegedly. <laughs> Very <laughs> alleged. But even despite that, you are starting from a place where like, I guess like socially and culturally, like a lot of people are kind of on board with the idea of like nationalisation of essential services. Mm. And that yeah, like... because they can yeah. probably remember, uh, there's a legacy there to draw on. And in many cases, people can probably remember when a service was nationalised before Thatcher in they their lifetime. They experience of large scale community housing as well, which yeah. we don't even have in Australia, or at least not since post-World War Two, And it still kind of exists outside of... Like, and so, look, yeah. the nostalgia of it exists. The British way. welfare state has positive associations. Thatcher changed a little bit, but she wasn't able to... Like, public ownership remains wildly popular. And at the moment, you still see like people who are like, I I live, I grew up on a council estate. And it's like, yeah, you lived up on... You lived on the one that was privatised. Yeah. But, like, you, you still want to claim that you were on a... It's yeah. worth noting, though, that in the States, like, there's wildly large majorities in support for Medicare for All and, like, scrapping tuition fees and, like, a majority of people below the age of 30 describe themselves as socialists or, like, think that socialism is better than capitalism. But, yeah, you're right, Nicole. There's, like, there's cultural institutions and a cultural and political heritage mm. of, like, at least mild social democracy under Attlee. Um, and people that, like, you wouldn't – who wouldn't fit that, like, demographic of, like, people who are really, you know, like – middle class people in their like 50s are still like for it like you know people in like America who yeah there's more sections of the population who wouldn't be for that kind of stuff in the US right like there's not quite that same like cultural and social backing for this whereas it is growing in the US and it it definitely is there but it this is more like widespread throughout the population spread across people who who would be oppositional otherwise yeah it's vocal in the UK I think it's like people know about it existing or in the US I think it has for decades been so shut down and so like separated from what pol- what is allowed politics it's become so isolated from 
the norm that is like considered oh no it's it is so different and new and whatever but it's like a lot of these attitudes probably were held for a really long time by a lot of people they've just been entirely cut out of the entire process i think the two biggest challenges for corbyn are one what happens when the british establishment turns on him like a british capitalism and like um the city of london like finance capital especially in london but also his own internal party like i actually think the tories are the least of his worries Oh, like, yeah, absolutely, like he's and a- they're just like tearing themselves apart. So, like, like they are not they are genuinely. I've like never thought of them as a threat to him. Yeah, no, I mean, like, I actually, I mean, they're tearing themselves apart. Although they're ahead in the polls, unfortunately, but like, but there's, I mean, I think it's worth noting this of like rules about media reporting when an election is called, which usually means that polls taken outside of an election like aren't super representative and. In the election period, when the Labor Party is actually getting fair media oh, coverage absolutely. by law, it's re- I just wanted—I know you yeah. know that—I just wanted to clarify yeah, for yeah. listeners. <laughs> and it's really terrible over there. Like to be honest, like I shockingly bad, shockingly bad. Like I thought, so I was over there for two weeks, um, and I had a lot of time to watch TV at that time because I was just at my granddad's house. And we got like three different papers every day. And I think like one of them was The Guardian, and two of them were more just sort of the like Mirror this, or something. I think The Mirror and The Sun is what we got as well. Um, and I read them all because I had so much time. Crosswords, <laughs> where are the crosswords? No, Sudoku. <laughs> got really good at it. Like those ones, like those killer ones where you have to like, get them to add up to things. Oh, jeez. Nailed them. Um, but anyway, look. Sad. <laughs> <laughs> so sad. Exciting uh, trip. In bragging on the podcast. Yeah, <laughs> bragging about my so- Sudoku. So to, I mean, whatever I it is. Sudoku. Sudoku. Oh, fuck. It's, it, all right, well, we anyway. Can, we can cut this. But the media was really, really biased against him. There was no positive cover. Like a lot of his no coverage. Like just like no coverage at all. Like he just like doesn't exist. And the other coverage is really bad. He's a chicken. Like constant <laughs> bad. And you can hear people repeating it back to you as well. Um, and I think that actually has like quite a big impact. And so once it shifts over in the, like in the campaign period where the media laws change and also they got more people on the ground talking to people and challenging that. Like, I, yeah, I, I really distrust the UK polls, no, to I be agree. honest, more than yeah. any polls anywhere else. Is um, he doing good in the polls? He's doing all right. I mean, I think, look, what I mean about the, the UK, like, I think the more is that I'm distrustful is the logic that the UK Tory party turning apart seems wrong to me because I think actually Boris Johnson's done quite a good job of positioning himself as the like people versus parliament populist. Like the, I think to, under Theresa May, the Tory party was literally about to disintegrate, but I think Sam, um, sorry, lol, uh, Boris Johnson, <laughs> um, they've both got white hair. Um, <laughs> uh, so does Corbyn. <laughs> oh shit. Um, wait, I'm sensing a theme. Um, yeah. Why is it like, as bad as I am for like, Saunders and Corbyn like why is it these white old men that are out like beacons of hope they've been there saying the same thing for so long they're You're just like yeah I agree with you you've been saying it forever and like finally I have realised that actually no I totally agree with this it's not a, and it's not only old white men like the um, Ilan Omar and um, AFC, AFC yeah, yeah that's so true uh, look, the thing I wanted to say about his enemy being the party is that they've just had this enormous fight over there about whether or not they have mandatory reselection of their MPs. And there's this argument that, like, when that fight happened about a year ago, uh, uh, the leadership leader's office stopped a move by momentum to enforce mandatory reselection of MPs. And what that is is when uh, MPs uh, come up, like it comes closer to the election, under mandatory reselection, 
all their positions automatically spilled and they run an open pre-selection for Which, who, by the way, is one of the good things that the Greens has. Yeah, yeah. Largely, except for Tasmania, but yeah, largely be, has. <laughs> and and uh, what it currently is, essentially, if you're an elected MP, you pretty much, unless this is like via this complicated process, you won't be pre-selected again, have to face pre-selection. And so... Momentum was pushing this and it looked like the left may be able to get it up a year ago. And that's important because about 70 to 80% of the parliamentary Labor Party oppose Corbyn. Like he, in fact, a lot of MPs have openly said, several MPs have openly said they won't support a Corbyn prime ministership if they win the UK general election. What the fuck are you doing in this party? Uh, I, didn't, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't realise it was that big of a percentage. Well, if you think the rebellion that happened against him in the last chicken coup, it was about... It was about that big. I mean, it's probably shrunk a little bit because there's, uh, some of them have gone over to the Lib Dems. Like it. Chuck Armner and a bunch of the other freaks have gone uh, to other parties to like change UK, which is polling at zero percent. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, that was beautiful. Yeah, I Chuck, really enjoyed that. I forgot about that. That was nice. The, the funny tinge party. Yeah. 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 Um, and uh, to be which clear, when f- you say the funny tinge party, one of their MPs yes. literally described as a person of colour as someone with a funny tinge. Yes. Yeah, yeah. No, you're not, not saying, saying that they have <laughs> a funny tinge. Uh, okay. I just want to avoid us being cancelled. Yeah. Please don't cancel me. <laughs> <laughs> just a bunch of like centrists who were like, yeah, also turns out to be like socially quite conservative. Yeah, yeah. and racist. Who were like, racist. oh, these other, these parties are bringing us down. We're going to start our own. And then they tanked. Yeah, And it was but beautiful. But also that's part of the thing with the well uh, as well with like the massive they got fawning praise by all of the media being oh, against yeah. Corbyn. Yeah. Like yeah. This change is coming it. finally, the party that we need. And the, I think you can see like that impact that the media has on a lot of people. It's like I know personally that I felt like I was totally disengaged from UK politics because it was just like constant barrage of just terrible media and just complete bullshit about what Corbyn was doing or proposing or whatever. And I think I felt that and I can't even imagine what's happened to a lot of people in the UK like constantly barrage with like I actually kind of support this person and like that like that would I think happen. a lot of people just switch off like everyone yeah, else I, I think it just turns off and that's why like the polling is probably not super accurate it's like you're only engaged if oh I agree I don't think the po- I think we all in agreement that the polling is shouldn't be trusted I, like I mean I think the dynamics are, the political dynamics are more important which is I think the, it does hurt though I think it does event, it oh it absolutely down. hurts yeah. but I think the polling will shift <laughs> there is the thing a- I wanted to say about the parliamentary party just quickly though was that like and then the leader's office surrendered and offered this fucking piecemeal bullshit plan where you can trigger you can engage trigger ballots that require this complicated process to make an MP face pre-selection. And now they're coming up to the moment where the general election's coming up and they're and they're struggling enormously to get rid of a lot of the conservative MPs. And I think the lesson one of them recently lost the pre-selection trigger ballot by two votes. Yeah. And that's because he and his supporters only told their friends and their supporters that the vote was happening. Like just totally denied even basic democratic process but i think so when you the, say con- sorry when you say conservative mps you mean conservative right, labor right-wing MPs. labor right wing yeah, labor mps yeah yeah that. and i think the lesson to be learned here is when you get power use it like they thought that they were talking about like making concessions or like you know the corbyn's office wanted to make like lead to some sort of peace within the parliamentary party these people don't want peace they want you to force you to compromise to the point where you're weak enough that they can kill you like politically and like when you get to positions of power within political movements when you're representing a large democratic socialist movement you have to use it like you have you you have to there's a degree to which you have to be ruthless and Aaron Bastani and Navarra Media pointed out that Dominic Cummings who's the key advisor to Boris Johnson like just removing the party whip kicking 20 conservative MPs out of the party like that 
Like, that's what you got to do. That's and what a winner does. That's like, that is what Thatcher did as well, right? Like, Thatcher was not like, not, you don't compromise. No, yeah, exactly. Like, you do not compromise. You make strategic withdrawals if you don't think yeah. you're going to win confrontations. But at that point, Corbyn's office could have won that confrontation. But you're trying to make, like, radical change. And that's not just going to, like, the not establishment's gonna not going to come with it, you. No. And it's always happened, like, as well in, um, you know, even in the 20th century, you had... Um, you know, in South America, when um, socialist uh, parties came to government, they tried to do land reforms or something, right? They tried to compromise with, um, you know, the white uh, landowning class and say, look, you know, we'll give you um, compensation for the land that we're redistributing or compensation for the the corporations that we're nationalizing. Yeah. And yet, and you know, fair compensation, and yet they still come around and in a lot of cases kill the in the counter revolution all the 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 um left wing supporters and government anyway like yeah, yeah, they yeah. don't give a shit about compromise no it all comes down to like power and done it and clashes of power within society and politics leftists are too nice <laughs> yeah i think not always but, but yeah. Uh, yeah no i think there's um like everybody wants to be able to do it without um you know, bloodshed. Well, it's uh, okay. We're not saying bloodshed. Not, oh no, just uh, guillotine. Uh, it's very clean. <laughs> like I mean, political people. bloodshed, but yeah. that's not how it works. And of course, it only works one way. Like the, all these people completely expect Corbyn and Co to be totally loyal to like whatever fucking like right wing Labour leader Tony Blair or whoever is is in power. That's no, you know, no question about that. But they won't give their loyalty in return. And they should, you know, in that case, they should not be a member of the party because that's what being in a party kind of is. <laughs> anyway, um, should we uh, should we talk a little bit about Brexit? Maybe we need to set it like we should set a time limit because because everyone kind of really wants to know what's going on. Like you 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 feel like you need to know because it's something that's really important. So I feel like we need to be able to like give the Brexit lowdown in like seven minutes. Brexit or in brief, yeah. You Brexit Listen. in brief. I saw everyone a tweet the know. other day. Um, I don't know. I can't remember who it was. Credit to you um, if you made this tweet. Someone being like, I just want like some kind of monitor just to tell me if what's going on in UK politics is good or bad for Jeremy Corbyn. Like just thumbs up or thumbs down. That's all I know. <laughs> okay, so we're going to go, we're going to have seven minutes. Okay. Okay. I, I think I'm, I know I'm across like some, I was doing, I, I'm across some of it. Okay. okay so there's not like a huge discussion. This is just like the facts people need to know. So and the political I, dynamics. I made some, I put um, some questions into our, our show plan. Okay. So I'll just start by Ready, asking. Ready, go. This can never die. I'm Chuck Norris. Chuck Norris. Government and fuck Boris, yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this uh, proroguing thing. So proroguing parliament. What is it? Okay, proroguing how parliament happens quite regularly in UK, well, re- semi-regularly in UK politics. It's what happens when you want, when the party of government wants a Queen's speech to happen. And a Queen's speech is where the Queen comes to parliament and lays out the agenda of her government. It's given to her by the political party. What's unique about this proroguing is that it's happening for much longer than a prorogue usually happens. And it also is weird because there has only been one Queen's speech in the last um, since the UK Conservative Party was elected in uh, 2016 or 17. Um, so, uh, and it's clear that it's being used uh, to uh, essentially stifle debate happening in UK Parliament, remove the, the ability, or remove the ability for UK opposition parties to manoeuvre Parliament in Parliament. Like the last three, because there's been a lot of changes of leadership without an election. And I think it's like the last three times, it, like the last two times, like this is this is not normal. 
Mm. Like the last two times, this just didn't happen. Like Theresa May just took it the le- like you know took Although the she leadership. Should have done one. Didn't have a cl- queen speech, but I think it's also the Labor one. Before. There's some. There's someone else as well that in yeah, really again, recent times didn't do it. It's yeah. not uncommon for it to happen. The issue with this one is that it, the point of it is to run down the clock to the point where the parties arrayed arrayed against. Uh, Boris government um, can't now control and submit any bills to be become law, which would force him to do something that they don't want to do. Uh, so the ones that recently passed were the ones which are around, he has to go to the EU and ask for an extension if in the case that he doesn't have a deal uh, and um, he can't change the date of the election if it is called before they leave the EU to be afterwards so they don't You can leave. see why people just stop listening. <laughs> it's complete bullshit. The function of the bill is that if it gets the 19th of October and there's no deal, then he has to uh, get in touch with the, like, write to the EU and ask for an extension to Article 50. Article 50, 50 is the thing that Theresa May triggered. It's embedded within the EU constitution. That is the process by which a member state leaves the European Union. Uh, that it was extended once by Theresa May, which was forced on her by UK Parliament to October 31st. If it's extended again, it'll be extended to January uh, 31st in uh, 2020. Isn't there talk, though, or I swear I saw something where Boris might not extend it, even if it's passed, like just fuck the law? So he's saying he'll break the law. He's also like he's, he's also sa- said he'll follow the law. Yeah, so Sajiv Javid, who is their chancellor of the exchequer, like their treasurer, was on TV and said, "I uh, we will follow the law. And then they were like, okay, well, the law says that if there's no deal by October 19th, you have to request an extension. To which he said, we won't be requesting an extension. And then the reporter said, well, if you don't do that, that's breaking the law. And then Sajiv Javid said, we'll be following the law. So, like, there's... The idea is that Dominic Cummings, who's the guy that was in charge of the Vote Leave campaign, who now is the key advisor to Boris Johnson, has some fucking tricky thing. But that's the thing as well that's probably consistent with between the UK and the US is that everyone wants to imagine that there's some genius behind all this, and I'm really, it's stop you there, right there, because this is this is our. Set this of is, wait, this is, is no facts. Oh no, no okay. facts there. One more question. So, what's this deal with the Scottish High Court ruling something something unconstitutional something? The Scottish Court ruled that it was uh, the proroguing of Parliament was unconstitutional because they were fa- they found that Boris Johnson misled the Queen on a, when he was requesting the Queen prorogue Parliament. He bloody lied to the bloody Queen. So what does that actually mean, though? Does that it- means nothing, it, and okay. it's going to be appealed to the UK Supreme Court, and the UK Supreme Court will make a ruling uh, because uh, earlier UK court had found that it was constitutional. Keeping in mind, there's no written British constitution, so it's all in common wasn't law. It, wasn't it that it wasn't actually that the courts just have no jurisdiction over the matter? Well, no, they. Yeah, to a degree, uh, but the UK, but the Scot, like, it was almost like a, almost a surrender of jurisdiction, and there's a uh, Scottish High Court found clearly found that they did. So there's going to be a ruling on that later. Okay, so in summary, does this mean that there's likely to be just like a no deal Brexit? Like, is this the most likely scenario that's going to happen? It's no. not clear now. I think the most likely scenario probably is going to be an extension to Article 50, but who the fuck knows? Just kicking the can down the yeah. road. How, yeah, how long can that keep going on for? Because We've had so many Brexit deadlines. Nothing has ever happened. Well, 
Yeah, I, and I thought the European Union was almost at the point where they're just like, "All right, <laughs> you guys crash yeah. out, yeah. play." <laughs> I think um, that they were, the European Union is that like they're literally just like you have these same red lines and the same like so the same things apply, um, which is the Irish backstop thing, which is another whole thing. But it's I like quickly, essentially like if you have these conditions on it, here is the deal, or like here is the the best deal for the things that you also have other conditions on, and like that's what they're all only ever going to agree to unless you change that situation which would be uh corbyn government coming in and asking for different things and because in reality the uk government is unwilling to actually change what its red lines are because they are competing they have all these competing um demands on what that deal says and what that deal does like is nothing's going to change until something actually breaks and one of those sides loses out on what their red lines are. Well, no, to be clear, the UK government has reached a withdrawal agreement with the European Union. The, the complications are that they can't get a deal passed through UK Parliament. So, like, there's a withdrawal agreement. That withdrawal agreement was agreed between Theresa May's government and uh, the European Union. There was also a backstop plan. The backstop in the Irish border plan is basically when uh, the withdrawal process is triggered... They need something, a safeguard that if by uh, the withdrawal process, which ended in about 2020 and I think in October, if that reached a stage where the the implication of the failure to negotiate a deal led to a hard border being formed in Northern Ireland, between the Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland, then they would need... Uh, some sort of backstop plan. The backstop plan is essentially keeping Northern Ireland in what's called the Customs Union. The Customs Union is essentially the European Union. It's complicated, but to give it a very brief... seconds to go. Very brief summary. <laughs> the Customs Union is very important. Okay, it's a trade agreement. <laughs> I'll give it, so, it's essentially a this trade agreement. This is the agreement. nerdiest podcast we've ever done. A, <laughs> Customs Union is a trade agreement under which two or more countries basically don't put tariffs, uh, which is essentially just taxes, on goods coming in from other countries in the Union. Uh, the countries also set the same tariffs for goods coming in outside of the union. So you need to remain in the customs union if you want to stop a hard border. And so uh, the thing is, the Theresa May deal, which includes the backstop and other stuff, has been voted down multiple times by the UK Parliament. No one agrees with it. Yeah. The issue is, is like that is the only current deal Mark. that has been agreed to by... <laughs> the timer has spoken. The, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. the, la- the last uh. thing I wanted to say is the political dynamics that people are wondering about is the weird stuff. So you've got on one side the UK Labour Party, whose position is weird. Their position is... We will negotiate a new deal with the European Union if we win government, and then we will put that deal to the people on a new referendum where the other option is remain, but we won't necessarily campaign for our deal. Now, their way they're explaining is if they don't get a good enough deal, then like it's better to remain, whereas the Tories now are going down that path of like we just have to fucking something has to happen October 31st. Boris Johnson's positioned himself relatively usefully in the sense that he's seen as the one wanting to implement the will of the people because they voted for leave. At the same time, there's been a massive polarisation. Most people either want no, no deal or just to remain. And the UK Labour Party stuck in the middle negotiating this very complex process where they're trying to avoid looking like the one standing in the way of the anti-establishment Boris Johnson. Because a part of the problem, I think, for both Labour and the Conservatives over in the UK and why this has been such a polarising thing, both amongst the two of them and then between their parties and why it's been, like, such a political mess, is that, like, the cons- it, the vote for Remain and the remote vote for leave didn't fall among party lines. It was incredibly split among people who were Labour voters 
a lot of them voted to remain, but also a lot of them voted to leave. And the same with conservatives. So it's like this this is like this split of the, the vote. The constituencies don't line up. The constituencies don't line up, which makes things really, really, really fucking messy. Mm. So I was looking at that. The YouGov poll of the 2017 election found that 29% of Labor voters who voted for the UK Labor Party in 2017 voted leave. Uh, but the bigger problem is that, yeah, 72% of Labor's most marginal constituencies voted leave and 61% of the constitu- uh, constituencies overall voted leave in 2017. And by and large, most of the Labor's target seats going into the election all voted leave. And their their position, which is we will, if we are government, we will negotiate a thing and then we'll do another referendum. Well, the referendum question is, is a thing. But it actually does, I, I personally think it makes consistent sense. It's like, we will negotiate the best deal that we can, and then we will hold a referendum. But then when you start to involve individual MPs, they start to get like, oh, I would still vote for Remain. Yeah, oh, oh, I would still campaign for Remain. It's like, but see, the but pro- it, I think it still does make some consistent sense in that it's like, we will try and do, get the best deal that we can, Look and then try and implement this, and then we will ask everyone again, it's like, here's the best we could do. But then everyone starts to get niggling details around like, but are you going to negotiate this and then campaign for Remain? And that's because the safe seat MPs who end up being ministers are probably remain seats. Well, no, no. The biggest problem here is that they don't want to talk about Brexit in the election. Corbyn was popular because he talked about nationalising the shit out of everything and, like, scrapping tuition fees and higher taxes on corporations to pay for building a million council homes. What they need... The problem is you, that took, like, how long to explain? Or, like, any of us to explain? I'm not trying to explain. No, no, no. But, but, no, but, like, but I'm like, yeah, yeah. yeah no, like the, yeah, you want anything beyond... No, no, just, but like, any Labor minister trying to explain it, what they want to be able to do is go into an election and have a very simple position on Brexit, which is, like, they can give in one word answer and then pivot to talk about their popular policies. Labor lose if the election's about Brexit. But if they can reform an anti-establishment establishment frame, but based around the fact that Boris Johnson wants to give tax cuts to the super rich and Corbyn wants to fuck people the rich people up and give it all to the you know to the working class then Corbyn will win Michael Walker on Navarra Media's point was Labor's position should be uh, what we'll do is we're going to put up a referendum on May's deal or remain and we're going to campaign for remain next question yeah like literally because the thing is as well like the like the 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 most concerning thing for me is so if you're looking at the polls and you're looking at what comes through the mainstream media, Corbyn, there's no way in the fucking world Corbyn can win off that. So what he's really going to need is a really, really strong ground campaign. But actually one of the most polarising things here is what Labour activists and lefties who are going to be the lot of the, like the vast majority of the people of driving that campaign and door knocking, lots of them want to remain. The vast majority of one of them remain, but the seats that they need to win and the voters that they need to win over want to leave. So if you make it about Brexit, you can't win. You cannot win both and you need to win both to win the election. And I, I completely see why you're backed in a corner. But yeah, you just like need to set a thing and move it aside and make it about everything else and make it about those commonalities between your your campaigners and your voters. And your voters. And if it, if you're making a lot... Like, how would they go out and talk to people as well? How are they going to relate to people on Brexit? They're not going to be able to do that because they have very different views to the people that they're trying to shift. But actually, if they focus on the stuff that they have, like, yeah, like, common... Ground. Well, I yeah. Think, yeah, and the, at that common ground really... Like, I think the clearest example of the fact it really does exist is the, the fact that... um. One of the vote leave campaign ads was like, you know, we can take all this money and put it into INHS. And this is like, you know, so clearly that's a concern. And, you know, guess who has like the best plan for the NHS and all other public services? Corbyn. So, you know, it's not rocket science. It's actually quite straightforward. 
It means taking a hit, basically. The simplest plan will be, like I agree with this analysis, the simplest plan is we will offer a re- referendum where there's May's deal and Remain. And <laughs> frankly, they're not going to get a better deal than May. No. Like, let's I be honest. They could. They, no I, they, I, they could no, have. No. I, they could have if they were the go- people in government at the very beginning. No. And they, they had the opportunity have, to. If they were playing the, by the establishment's rules. Like, May could have got a better no, deal. No, no, but if you had imagined a Corbyn government from the beginning of May's thing, like, not, it would have been different. An, not yeah. straight from when you they were elected. You imagine Corbyn have would have just been May standing there in a Frida Kahlo bracelet and, like... What? What? <laughs> she went on this whole thing. The European Union is so much like more economically strong than the UK at the moment. Like there's no way the UK is like they just don't have the power to be able to negotiate any better deal than what they have now. It is just a wishful thinking and it's also this weird like reticence of colonial United Kingdom where they were a really powerful thing in the world and that's how they entered the EU where they were more powerful. So like unfortunately like I just don't think they're going to be able to negotiate a better deal and then they're going to look weaker than the conservatives because I think that's the best possible deal that you probably could have got and I mean maybe like 10 years down the track when you've got a Corbyn government and you're really really strong and you've got all these other things implemented that have been able to give you that economic strength in the world but right now if you took and it, like a Corbyn government and you also had capital flight, which you're going to have, and your economy's weak, you're in such a bad position to be able to negotiate with the EU. You're going to come out worse off. And so I think like going to the election like that is a huge mistake because you, it, I think it's naive to think that they would be able to negotiate a better deal with the EU. They'll be in the, a worse position than May was. I think the one thing, you know, or not the one thing, but, you know, I think what Australian audiences can take away from this is all the lessons we can learn um, for when Queensland finally succeeds in the <laughs> rest of Australia. That's the next <laughs> North Queensland. I've really started following this. Is um, One of our like, guys that I know for the Greens, Lyle, put me onto this page where you can, like, you follow, like, North Queensland wants to break from, like, South Queensland. And there's some wild politics going on that Quixit. page. Yeah, it yeah. fucking, like, North it Quixit. goes from this to that. Like, I, I recommend where they follow draw the line, it, Where they draw the line says a lot about whoever <laughs> is, like, drawing that line <laughs> more yeah. than anything else. But it's I think like, it's below Brockhampton, it's above Brockhampton, and you're like, you have no idea what's going on. I feel on. like then it's the opposite <laughs> thing with Greg, uh, Quakes, it would be the opposite of Brexit because the rest of Australia wants to kick Queensland out. Um, <laughs> well, that's certainly the rest of the like fucking media class in Australia. Yeah, as I said after, as I said after the federal election, we'll happily form the People's Socialist Republic of Queensland. They can and fuck off. Leave the latte sipping, uh, freaks, chattering classes behind. Yeah, great. Um, but but I, I reckon um, that might be. Well, I feel like we missed out on time. the most important polling in. Uh, yeah, the UK. Well, this is what I'm about to bring up. Okay. Oh, thank you for bringing this up. Uh, uh, yeah, the absolutely the most important poll to come out, um, possibly ever, uh, came out from YouGov today, I think. Um, mm, 2016. Oh. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> no, no, they've done, they've done two. Fact oh, check. Okay. Volume one and volume two. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, that was the original one. This is the follow-up. And it That's is it. Uh, on self-reported fantasies, sexual fantasies of party supporters. In the UK. In the UK. So this is looking at um, overrepresented differences that are st- statistically significant among Conservatives, Lib Dems, UKIP and Labour supporters. Just so much. There's so much here. Um, so let's start off with Conservative supporters. They're the only fantasy, the only sexual fantasy listed under conservative supporters is sex with a sports star. <laughs> like, every very single like, conservative about it's that. So conservative. Every conservative also- wants to have sex with um, David Beckham. <laughs> I, I, like, I respect 
that more than the UKIP one? Because like sex with a sports star, that's kind of like, that's a fantasy. It's like unachievable, something that you would be like, oh, this is a thing. Whereas like, is it the UKIP the one UK that's just like a fucking very dildo? Sad. It's just go to the shop. <laughs> <laughs> it's not it, that hard. It, it, I think it was it the guy who did the survey also said like, my biggest regret is not asking which sports star. <laughs> <laughs> it's not even a movie star, it's a sports star. <laughs> but yeah, the, the vi- UKIP one is using a vibrator or dildo. Which just using one. That's you know, a lot of people do that. You can just buy borrow them. someone else's. You do that. It's very easy, right? You can like, buy them online. Yeah. Websites exist. It's Share fine. Them. It's good. I didn't even think that was a fantasy. You learn something new every day. Um, Lib Dem supporters um, have a few more here. Oh, that there's some pathologies in here. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> there is some real shit. Okay, number one is sex with someone of a different ethnicity. Like, I'm not at all surprised by this. It's uh, Your average Lib Dem voter, like what taboos do they imagine? Yeah, yeah. Then no develop like, ooh, bringing fetishes of someone to mummy and daddy who's not just exactly as white as me. Uh, number two on the Lib Dem supporters list: watching someone masturbate. Okay, um. that's pretty vanilla. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know. I mean, it's not as achievable as buying a dildo or <laughs> vibrator. Yeah. I feel like, well, like if your fantasy should not be achievable. Why would it be a fantasy if it was? That's achievable? what I don't understand. Yeah. Like, is this what they think about when they're not using a vibrator and dildo? Like, or is it, oh, or is it actually creepier? And they're like, I'm just gonna like like sneak in and like watch someone like secretly masturbate. I'm sure there's a little bit of like a peeping tom thing. Again, going on. the internet, like, this <laughs> is all like I mean, yeah, but fulfilling. But I think it gets sadder though though if you start thinking it in these terms. So when you look at the label one, one's like a passionate kiss and one's like something like, I can't remember what it was. It was something really st- like oral sex. Like things that you just... <laughs> no, no, oral sex. <laughs> oral sex giving and receiving. Just go to the rest of them. So Lib Dem supporters, sex so in different ethnicity, watching someone masturbate, bondage. Yeah, all right. Uh-huh. Finally, an actual like proper kink. Um <laughs> Filming self having sex. We don't sex. kink shame here. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, and sex with someone transgender. You uh, okay. get supporters using a vibrator or a dildo. Labor supporters. Sex outdoors. Sex outdoors. <laughs> I'm done with that. I like that. That's actually probably harder to do in the UK. Yeah, it's yeah. True. It's because it's, it's a small island. And it's cold. We've got a lot of desert. It's yeah. fucking cold. Oh, small <laughs> island. People. <laughs> oh, a sunny day. What do you want to do? Like, do you want to bang out there? <laughs> no, there's too many people. <laughs> Unless they Everyone like that. Well. I think that's the title for the episode, Small Island. The <laughs> there's that whole thing, like the whole UK thing about having like nudist colonies where they're just in a garden reading a book while nude. <laughs> um, okay. Sex with a stranger. Uh, again, very achievable. How do you define a stranger? Like, how would you like fantasize about that? Who's like, how do you picture a stranger? Well, someone you don't know. But then how do you make a picture of that person? Most of the Nicole, world. Nicole, do you have that problem where you can't make pictures in your mind? I guess, I make pictures. But like, of, can you make pictures of people you've never met before? Could you like construct a well, person no, in your I mean, mind? You can think of someone like... You, I, I can't believe I'm explaining this. <laughs> this is how you like crank it to an image of a stranger. <laughs> No, but I can just like you can just imagine you. There's someone you find it, like attractive, but you don't know them, and you just have sex with them, and then you never speak to them again. Oh, I so that's a stranger. So it's not like someone you've never seen before. Because I was yeah. like, how would you? There's also that? like an amorphous blob. Is that? Yeah. What you're <laughs> like, you know, you don't have to fix my their face. My kid is a gelatinous like... cube. Oh wow, brutal. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, sex with a TV movie star. Again, I, th- I find this so much more normal than sex with a sports star. Mm. Um, sex with someone else's partner. 
Yeah. All right. Yeah. Again, like perfectly legitimate Pornhub category. Um, oral sex giving and receiving. <laughs> <laughs> oral sex giving and receiving is bleak. It is, it's it's not bleak. bleak. I think it's sweet. It's like, wholesome. Yeah. It's wholesome, fantasizing about like, giving someone else oral sex. It's very sweet. No, I just... Uh, sure. Okay. But I just mean like... This why is, is the UK fancy? we're talking Could about you? as well. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, you're saying it's only very missionary stuffy, very <laughs> traditional. <laughs> <laughs> this is for Labour supporters though. So there's a whole range of things going on there. <laughs> and like then, how do you not find anyone that doesn't want to receive yeah, oral sex yeah, from yeah. you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's, it's the tea. It's yeah, the tea. Come on, no. Come on now. Come on now. Actually, I know that... Now I know that this polling is a bit fake because that should also be in the conservatives, but from the like it should be that the conservatives want to give slash receive oral sex from the queen. <laughs> <laughs> There's some other polling later on that like maybe applies a little bit of context. Is that the last one or is um, that? Mm. Because there's a little bit here where it's like uh, it relates like your life and uh, sexual life happiness, and sexual levels, happiness levels, yeah. which is probably like the interesting thing to apply on top of like whatever. So who's the happiest? Were. So the happiest is the conservatives. I'm not surprised by that. And true. they just very, very minorly fall down uh, when compared to sexual happiness. So they're like, I'm happy, I'm rich, and I get to have sex with the same person for the rest of my life and just I, continue with that. Just picture them as a sports star. Yeah. I have it made. Just close my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> think of David Beckham, David Beckham, David Beckham. <laughs> Everyone else except for, so like people, I guess like, well, UKIP though, this one. So the ones that are interesting is that UKIP and Labor and other all have quite low other. general life happiness. Oh. And then they all, well, it's because there's deep, quite, desperate austerity. Yeah, and they all quite significantly increase in their sexual happiness. So, so they're real. So I see. So what you're saying is that it's because they can use a vibe. They can fulfill their fantasy every day. They can just use a dildo. Just- yeah. The thing that I, I like <laughs> get gratification from is quite easy, but also my life is a grinding hell because I live in austerity, Britain. But at least the <laughs> sex is okay. Yeah. Or well, like, would it not be also like a part of it is also austerity, but a part of it is also like just that you think. You you want change in the world, and that change in the world like isn't happening, and that's sad. But well, you can have sex with someone else's partner, and you can, <laughs> you can have sex outdoors, but only in summer. I wonder if they polled this in summer. Or well, they have to go to bigger <laughs> islands if they want to. Do it. <laughs> the one last thing I did want to bring up about this one is that there's like a little bit about like uh, your like political ideology and like just without party branding. Um, and that if you're very right wing, you have considered very general, very good general life happiness levels and you do go up in sexual happiness, apparently. But the one that's yeah, most significant is that the very far left has just terrible life happiness, but then also seek, just like jumps up massively by double digits in sexual happiness. Hell so yeah. we yeah. fuck, but we're, we're very sad. <laughs> well, I think Man, that pretty much explains all of left Twitter. Maybe we should, this, that's a perfect moment to wrap this up. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, I did, uh, you know, once you guys sent, sent this to me, I did do some Googling on Australian um, sex and politics and I did find some totally legit research okay. on it. So I don't know if you want me to go through that. Yeah, please. Yes. Okay. So if there, and I, you know, just put it into uh, party categories. So if they're a liberal party voter, um, the, the sexual preferences um, or, you know, fantasies. Uh, so, one would be uh, take part in an oiled up and naked wrestling match with Alan Jones and Rupert Murdoch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, role playing as priests, which is uh, an odd one. Um, oh, <laughs> <thanks>. <laughs> Fuck me, Calvin. Uh, I don't the, know who's going to get more cancelled. Is he wearing? The National Party. Uh, so, this one had a bit of a split between female and male supporters. So, 
Uh, male supporters uh, want Barnaby Joyce to uh, fuck their wives. Um, <laughs> and female supporters yeah, want so red. Barnaby Joyce <laughs> to fuck their husbands. Um, <laughs> so sweaty as well. And really the sweaty. He would keep the hat on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Labour Party was a bit weirder. Uh, so they had um, being... Uh, Choked with a reusable Aldi bag. <laughs> um, you mean erotic asphyxiation? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. That's the, it's actually with an well, Aldi bag. Yeah. Let's be real; it's all about the money in the Aldi bag. <laughs> Being tied up and made to listen uh, to Jackie Trad say the words "the Greens political party" <laughs> on repeat. <laughs> um, and the, the last one was um, fin doming the working class. <laughs> oh. um, Right, Nicole's lost it. She's down. You killed Nicole. <laughs> She's dead. And the, 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 the greens, the greens are, I don't know, a little bit less crazy. But uh, so theirs was sort of fell into these categories. So it was just uh, sex with sharks. Being tied up and whipped with a cat of nine tails. Made from disposable Woolies plastic bags. (laughs) Um, And the last one is having uh, Bob Brown whisper, this is the climate election in their ears. You definitely wrote this. You fucking wrote this. Of course he fucking wrote wrote this. this. (laughs) Wait, how long did it take you to realize? (laughs) It got to the sharks. You're like, wait. Wait, this isn't real. Up until that very normal. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so we're much more, you know. Okay. I think more crazy than our uh, UK uh, cousins <laughs> in our section. <laughs> cool. So sad, but very horny. All right. Uh, so I think that's probably a good space, uh, spot to end it. Thanks, as always, for listening. Uh, if you want to support our work, you can support us on Patreon. Oh, we've got a shout out. Oh, yeah. We're doing an Wait, event. We have plugs. Do you have a plug now? Yeah, we have a plug. Okay. <laughs> let's plug. So on Thursday, uh, <laughs> the 17th of October at 6.30 p.m., at the Morrison Hotel, um, a pub in Wellangabba, you can come and meet us in person. We're going to be doing an event. Um, Flood goes to the pub with uh, our friends at Living the Dream, the second best anti-capitalist podcast in Brisbane. We will be hosting uh, Elizabeth Humphreys, who is an Australian political theorist um, and she's written a book called How Labor Made Neoliberalism, um, which is a really fascinating Uh, look, basically shattering a lot of foundational myths in Australian political history. Um, She's uh, writing about how um, Whitlam's government represented a kind of proto-neoliberal stage in Australian history. Uh, Medicare was a heavily watered-down compromise from a Hawke government, otherwise intent on ushering in Australian-style neoliberalism. And um, something, you know, we'd like to certainly touch on a lot at the show, um, that the Australian trade union movement uh, actually helped defeat any potential opposition to Australia, uh, neoliberalism in Australia and actually ushered it in, creating um, their own defeat, basically. So if any of that has you going either, what? Eyes kind of bugging out at their sockets, or if you are like, hmm, yeah, that sounds like something I agree with, um, come along. Uh, it's free. She'll be there. So she'll basically give a talk on her book. And uh, then we'll have like a discussion and a um, Q and A. So if you've got a question from her, for her, only questions, also, only questions, comments will be ejected from the pub. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> like strict policy, no comments. <laughs> okay. Right. Every every comment owes us all a beer. Every time you like say you have a question, but it's a comment, you have to buy everyone in flood a beer.
Or at the very least, you have to subscribe to the Patreon. Yeah, yeah. Subscribe to the Patreon. That's five dollars. Five dollars per comment. Hey, did you know that kookaburras eat other birds? Okay. Bye. Bye. Bye.